everyone. Isn't it great to raise your hands? So uh, <clears throat> I'm a great sports fan, and uh, lots of sports actually. Uh, but at the moment, the Masters, US Masters, the golf is on. Um, so I don't know, anybody interested here? Yeah. Put your hands, show you. Oh dear, this is not going to go well, I can tell. Um, anyway, um, in round two, there's a golfer called Tommy Fleetwood, who's from the, the UK. And there's a, a, a short hole on the 16th hole on, on the Masters. And um, on Friday... This has got nothing to do with the sermon, by the way, so just, uh, just relax for a second. Um, on Friday, he, um, as often is the case, actually, the particular hole, because all the slope kind of goes down towards the hole. Anyway, he, he took off his, t he hit his tee shot, hole in one. Just the ball bounced just about eight or ten feet be before the hole, and you could see it as soon as it landed, it was tracking straight for the hole. But what was interesting was that they also have cameras everywhere, don't they? they? They have cameras on the golfer, they have cameras on the caddy, they have cameras on the cameramen and women, they've got cameras everywhere. Anyway, there was a, it was probably a drone camera was hovering above the tee where he hit his shot. And there weren't thousands of people, but they have allowed people in to watch. Um, and so you, you just saw him hit the ball, and you didn't see the ball or the hole. And then it just fixed watching them in the tee box and then you could see them all going and he raised his leg because he thought the ball and as soon as the ball dropped everybody just went Ray! like this and raised their hands in the air it's just a natural instinct isn't it and then they clapped as a consequence of just wanting to respond to that excellent shot and it just struck me through that last song isn't it great to raise our hands completely normal to raise our hands when you look at people worshipping if you're not a worshipper you kind of think well what are they doing everybody does it it's a sign of that's amazing something amazing has just happened so it's great isn't it to raise our hands anyway just thought I'd say that for no apparent reason so there we go I think probably is the sort of introduction um, Nikki are we okay with the slides I do have some slides um, but I'm lacking two things. One is a box here, which makes, means I can see what's going on up there. But thankfully, especially for me, they've built this much bigger stage, so I can just glance and see what's happening one way or the other. Uh, and also, you, you usually have a little clicker that you can yourself click on. Um, anyway, we couldn't find a bit of it this morning. And then we found the bit just before our meeting started, and it doesn't work. So Nikki at the back is going to have to uh, click the slides on. Um, so sorry if you just keep me saying, Nikki, next, Nikki, wake up, Nikki, no, not, that's not the right one. Just, uh, uh, but she's going to do a great job. So this here is, um, Mike texted me on Thursday, I think it was, and said, um, could, we need just a couple of sentences about what, for social media in order to just whet people's appetite about what you're going to talk about on Sunday. Well, I've never done a social media soundbite at all because I don't do social media. So this is what we kind of came up with. Maturing requires enduring. I thought that was quite cool, actually, but that's because I'm 61. So do we see trials, tests, and temptations as an opportunity to press into Jesus or to slide away from him. In our passage on Sunday, today, we'll be looking at what James has to say about temptation. And so that's where we're going to start. So if you've, I hope you've got your Bible or access to one on your phone or tablets or what 
tablet, I mean, not tablets, obviously not. Don't get your tablets out to look at the, get your, your electronic tablet out. Um, because when we go through a book like James, it's really important that we have the word of God in front of us. Now, I have written it out for you here, so you will see it as we go through. Um, and can I just encourage you to do two things? One is, obviously, listen to me a little bit. Well, three things, actually. More importantly, listen to what God is speaking to you about in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. And you can do that by just also thinking. If you only hear one thing, and God speaks to you about that one thing this morning, that's fantastic. That's great. Don't expect 10 or 15 things. But just listen out. Say, Holy Spirit, what is the one thing that you want me to really hear this morning and actually do something about? Um, and this links back, because we've had Easter in between. Uh, Steve, a couple of weeks ago, talked about trials and um, experiencing them, uh, but enduring them. And uh, in verse 12, uh, it also talks about trials and tests, which links to verse 13 onwards in temptation. So I've linked these through, trials, testing, and temptation. What I wanted to do is read through first, and then we'll take it verse by verse, and I'll pick out the, the key themes from each verse. And then at the end, what I want to do is, is try and encourage us to think about how we might stand strong in the face of temptation, what we need to do or what we need to be thinking about in order to uh, mature, come to maturity. What I don't want to do this morning is get into a kind of deep internal psychological view about how difficult temptation is. We want to name it, we want to confront it, but we want to say, actually, the thing, and I'll, I'll give you the punchline right at the beginning, so you can think about it. The thing that is most important that we do is stay close to Jesus. So think about that as we go through this whole um, session. Staying close to Jesus. When we're thinking about temptation, excuse me, <clears throat> stay close to Jesus. So this is what it says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And Steve ended his se session two weeks ago on that verse. We're going to pick up there and then go on. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Next slide, please, Nicky. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all his creators. So we're going to just pause there a second. So as I said, Steve talked about trials, and then two weeks later we're talking about tests and temptations. So we're not talking about grace or mercy or truth or coming into the fullness of everything God has given us or, or redemption or seeing people saved and lives changed. We're talking about temptation. So we just need to lock onto that because James, as we'll see, is very practical in the way he addresses the things that on a day-to-day -day basis we all face. 
But it's just a few things by introduction to James, which Mike talked about um, one, two, three weeks ago. And he actually uh, is taking the passage in, in chapter 2, verse 14, which when James talks about faith without works is dead. I think that's right. You're doing that, that section, aren't you? Um, which is the verse in the Bible which has caused many people to say about James's book, it's a bit dodgy. It's a bit strange. And there have been some great theologians right the way throughout history, including Martin Luther, the, the father of the Reformation, who, who once famously called this an epistle of straw because it was so contrary to the, 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 the good news of, of Jesus being, uh, and, and as, as Paul writes in all his letters, that it's, it's not through works, it's not through what we do that we're saved. It's by faith, by the unlimited mercy and grace of God coming into our lives, God speaking to us, giving us the ability to respond to him and come into newness and fullness of life as we walk and are birthed into Jesus. Nothing to do with works at all. Because that's what the Jewish history was all about, is if, if I do the right thing, I will somehow get lots of favor with my Heavenly Father. And Paul and the whole gospel and Jesus dying on the cross is about saying, that's not the case. It is my unlimited, unlimiting love for you that draws you to me. So when James comes along and says, hang on a minute, faith without works is dead, he seems to be going back to something which Paul was saying, this is not the good news of the gospel. I don't want to take Mike's thunder, but that's, you know, it, this, that's why there's a really, there's a bit of a tension in this gospel, but that tension is relieved somewhat by understanding who James is talking to. Because James's concern is because um, it says at the beginning, uh, this is to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James's real concern is about the behavior of some Jewish Christians who seem to be quite happy to say they were Christians, but actually were doing what they wanted to do. They didn't see the value, the importance, the centrality of your faith determining the way that you then live out the rest of your life in selflessness and in, in you know, as a servant and uh, uh, of Jesus Christ. So when we, we come to that passage and, and what sort of underpins some of the things that we're going to say this morning, we just need to hold those two things in mind. That if something has happened, if there's life, there is a consequence of that life. That life produces real change in our lives. Just like a seed falling into the soil germinates and produces something if that new life, that coming into new life, that germination has taken place, it will produce fruit. It will produce growth. But James also does this in a, with very straightforward language, and, and Mike talked about this. You know, there's actually nothing too complex. The, the language might be a bit flowery sometimes, or a bit not quite what we, we use today. Well, definitely some of them that we don't use today. But it's very straightforward. It, there's not a lot in James that you're going to say, mm, I don't quite understand what he's driving at. It's very, very clear. And even if you go back to the introduction, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes of scattered among the nations, greetings. And you contrast it with Paul. You know, Paul, the apostle called by to the wonderful, amazing church in wherever. Grace and peace be lavished on you. I remember you. But James, I think James was a Jewish Yorkshireman. I think that is the best way to think about James. Calls a spade a spade, says it how it is, let's not mess around, let's not waste any effort, any energy on 
making things more flowery. Any Yorkshiremen in here or women? Not many. Wow, that's incredible. I'm safe. I thought I might have been slightly lynched at that point afterwards. But anyway, um, so bear those things in mind. James is actually hitting a problem head on and he's not messing about. Okay, so when you kind of feel, oh, actually, that's a bit sharp. Um, that's exactly the background. He wants us to feel exactly like that. Grab the next slide, please. Nikki. So just picking up as a bridge between what Steve said and what I'm saying Verse 12 uh, here says, I've, I've highlighted the words, we're just going to focus on on each text. This is the word test. Um, stood the test, and as, James, as, as Steve said, the word test and the word tempted in the Greek is actually the same word. And so trials, which can also be tests and can also lead to temptation, actually, the whole, all three are kind of uh, as concepts interwoven together. But as we'll see as we go on, there's actually quite a big difference between testing and temptation, even though they flow from the same Greek word. Next slide, Nikki, please. So here we go. This is a great start, isn't it? When tempted. Notice that James doesn't say, if tempted. He says, when tempted. So anybody here who's never, ever been tempted... I know that you're just not non-responders. I know that for a fact um, because it says when tempted. And it's very clear. It's, it's almost like uh, that's a, a, a sort of one of James's patterns. You've gone from verse 12, which is talking about inheriting this crown of life. You know, you, you, you persevere under trials. And do you know what? There's a, an amazing prize for you at the end. And then bang, next verse, when tempted. He's raised you up to, you know, faith and looking at the future and back down to earth right now. When you're tempted, you need to be careful about what you say. So what about temptation? So this is the first time we come across this word in, in what we're looking at today. And it feels to me that when James moves from those early verses and he's talking about trials, he's talking about something which is coming at us from the outside, we experience trials in our lives, and we'll, we will touch on that a little bit more in a second. But it's kind of something external to us. In our lives, our day-to-day -day lives, where we live, where we work, the families we're in, etc., the neighborhood, our personal circumstances, we, there are trials of life. But here, James is changing his focus to what is happening in our hearts. Not what's happening to us, but what is happening in us and the inner temptation to sin. Now, next slide, please, Nikki. We probably all know what temptation is. This is just a simple definition, the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Um, and for Christians, of course, it's not just about whether it's wrong or unwise, but it, it, when it leads to sin, it then starts to erode and have an impact on our spiritual lives and particularly our relationship with Jesus. And actually our goal, we dance to a different tune, don't we, as Christians? We sing a different song to the rest of the world. So it doesn't matter, if, if we said that to most of the people outside who have no idea of faith, um, they'll get away with what they get away with. It doesn't matter, it's just part and parcel of being, of being alive, really, isn't it? But actually for us, 
there's a different standard that we've, we've, we've kind of signed up to, as it were. And the standard we'll look at later, Jesus sets actually extraordinarily high. In fact, we'll, we'll do it now. In, you remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks exactly about this thing? He said, if you, you know, you've heard it said that if you committed with someone, you will have it, you, you, that is sinful. But he said, do you know what? Even if you think like that, it's sinful. Wow. What a change. And in two, one simple sentence, I think Jesus is saying at least two things. One is, if you think you're good enough at keeping the law outwardly, actually, that doesn't make a difference because what happening, what's happening inwardly is infinitely and ultimately more important. So Jesus really raised the bar. It wasn't about how the, uh, many Jewish people in the past used to you know, think about the Ten Commandments and all the laws that they created as a consequence of trying to understand and apply the Ten Commandments and say, look, I can do this, I can do this, I am doing this. Like the rich young ruler, wasn't it? She came to Jesus. I've obeyed all of these things since I was a child. Jesus said, well, go and give everything away. And immediately Jesus got to the heart of something inside him not what was outside of him. Sets the, the bar very high. Life is full of temptation. But as we've seen, we're all actually in this together. And the other thing to say about temptation, in and of itself, it is not right or wrong. Temptation <clears throat> is something that is there that we respond to in particular ways. So being tempted, when tempted, doesn't mean that we are in a bad place. If you are being tempted, and when you are tempted, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. If you think Christian maturity is rising above ever being tempted, can I say, that's barking down up the wrong tree? Barking down the wrong path. Now, that would seem strange, actually. I'm probably no more strange than barking up a wrong tree. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's wrong thinking, it, but it's easy for us to get into. Why do I feel tempted? Why, you know, is there something the matter with me? No, actually, it's common, as we'll see later, it's common to mankind. Temptation is common. But actually, it's neutral. It's something that it's our response that is more is is the important thing being tempted is not a sin acting in response to that temptation clearly is and that can come in many forms the the obvious things you you wouldn't need me to say if you think about the 10 commandments around greed and lust and jealousy and desire and adultery and immorality and hatred etc things that you 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 see someone else has got something you want and you're going to get it or you just it it fills your mind it fills your thinking why have they got more than me it consumes you 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 you, you feed on it and it it, it, it gets a, in, as a root into your heart that's they're, they're obvious things aren't, aren't they things that would immediately come to mind but temptation or trials can also come as part and parcel of our daily lives. Doubt or unbelief might creep in because of something that's happened to us or the death of a loved one could lead us to question his love or care over our lives. And God doesn't mind us asking questions. Do you know God's bigger than all of our worry, concern, anger, anxiety? 
But if we then start moving towards, actually, he doesn't love me. If you start allowing your spirit to be beguiled away from trusting wholly in Jesus, then that that can take root in a way which is unhelpful and unhealthy. Or temptation can come in, in the form of what can appear completely harmless or even positive activities. Now, I'm going to mention Phil here because if he was talking about this context, I know the example he'd use, he'd, or has used actually. I kind of thought, should I mention him by name? I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm going to mention him by name, yeah. So I know that Phil has, has more than once said, for example, you know, in the context, are we spending, is our, are we keeping the main thing the main thing, spending our time with Jesus? He has occasionally pointed the finger at those of us who are addicted to exercise, okay? So, I am addicted to exercise. Anybody else here addicted to exercise? Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. One honest person in the room. I know there are others. Or at least obsessed by it. Now, I, one of the things, I, I, I love doing all, I, Ginny and I were chatting last week. Actually, what I, what I really like is feeling fit. It doesn't really matter what the exercise is. Um, there are lots of things I enjoy, but actually the thing that I find most be- beneficial is, is a feeling of being fit, or at least as fit as I can be. Um, but that can become a bit of an obsession. So I enjoy cycling. I think many of you may know that and those who don't. Um, and uh, Phil wouldn't be the only one who thinks I'm obsessed with cycling or with that form of exercise at the moment. Maria, my wife, thinks I'm obsessed. In fact, Maria thinks I think about it all of the time. Just because on every minute of every day, I know what the forecast is. I know what the wind direction is. I know what the temperature is. I know how far I'm off my weekly goal. She thinks I'm obsessed. I mean, I actually, next slide, please, Nikki. I don't understand it. So I set myself um, a kind of, you know, um, this is a, a thing called Strava. You don't need to worry too much about it. It's a, it's, it, it's a special website for people who are obsessed. Um, and uh, you can log your activity, whether you're cycling, running, triathlon, swimming, you know, skipping, hopping, but it involves moving. You can't put how many hours you watch the TV on Strava. It doesn't, there's no facility for that. Okay. So I kind of have in my mind, I would like just as a general, a general goal, not, not you know, to cycle 100 miles a week. That, that's, my, that, that's my fitness regime, if, if you see. And I know, because I'm not obsessed, that today is the end of week 14 of the year. And I also know I've only done 1,385 miles in week one. So I'm 15 miles short, and the week runs from Monday morning to Sunday evening. So I'm short. No, disaster. Absolute Disaster. And I'm not thinking in any way whatsoever that I might be able to skip out for 20 miles later and get just a bit ahead because actually it's going to snow. So uh, I'm, probably not, I'm probably not going to do that. Um, so anyway, so where was I? Oh, obsession. Yeah, not, that doesn't, I'm not obsessed with that whatsoever. But it can be very attractive. All I'm saying is that you have to recognize that because it's true. Obsession can come out of your interest. Now that might be playing the guitar, it might be watching the telly, it might be eating, 
It might be not exercising. From a quick public health plug there. If you are obsessed with not exercising, you need to get exercising. In the same way that I perhaps need to do a bit less. Might, I said that, might, okay. I'll have to do a bit more in order to do a bit less, to get to where I am now. But you know what I'm saying, don't you? The things of life that are of interest to us, that we enjoy doing, can become an obsession. And in a way, there's no difference between that and a temptation. Because it takes your, th- your, your line, takes your thinking, sometimes. And now, none of those things are bad. And I'm not saying we should not do any of them. We should do all of those things. That's fine. But when they become too much, they can become a temptation. So it can be very attractive. So temptation comes to us or can come to us in all sorts of ways. But James goes on to say this. Now, we need to be really careful. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And it's kind of slightly easy to slip into that when our circumstances are quite difficult or challenging. God, why are you tempting me? God doesn't tempt you. God will never tempt you. This is one of those clearly understandable statements from James. Because as soon as we start saying, this is your fault, we start saying, it's not my full responsibility. We start becoming like Adam. It wasn't me, it was her. I know I did it, but actually it was her fault. I did it because of her. And we need to be careful, even in, and please don't get me wrong, I don't want to ever, ever minimize with the examples I've just used, the awfulness that some people can go through and the difficult situations. But even in the toughest situations, please don't ever be tempted to say, God is tempting me. It is undeniable that God tests us, and that's clearly evident in Scripture. But the testing that God puts us through is in order to produce faith and fruit in our lives, not downward spiraling into sin and disbelief. So please don't ever think God is tempting you. And if you've ever felt that that might be the case just right now say listen Lord okay I recognize that that's not you that's not your hand in my life you can do that right now just where you are and next slide please Nikki and then uh, James goes on to stick the knife in a bit further uh, and talks about all sorts of really strong strong words but if when each person is tempted and when they are, in, when they when they give in to that temptation, they are dragged away. And this is a reference; uh, it's a fishing reference in the Bible. The word is is associated with a fishing reference, where you're fishing, you cast a line into a pond, onto the lake, Galilee, or whatever, and you get a fish. And you, you once you you're hooked, and if the the, the you know the fisherman, the fisherwoman is skillful enough, they can drag it's that that dragging once you get into the clutches of temptation you can then be dragged away um and he also goes on to talk about evil desires next slide please Nick. um evil desire 
Uh, and what he doesn't say is evil desires versus good desires, which is a typical way of Jewish Hebrew speaking, actually. It, was a, it's, you know, it would be like a, a turn of phrase that we all know today that has two parts, and everybody knows what they both are, but James is just using the first one because he's trying to make a point. Desire is not wrong because we can have good desires, but evil desires. He's really hammering home the point. And if you go on to verse 15, next slide. And then when after desire has conceived, this is, might be a bit tricky in the language, gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. What he's basically saying, that's a bit like the, the, the seed and the germination and the plants I was saying earlier, or uh, you know, a baby being conceived and growing in the womb inevitably will lead to birth. So once it happens at the start and once that, that takes place. There is an, an inevitable set of consequences that are going to arise by giving in to temptation. So that's, that's basically what uh, James uh, is saying here. So are you all having a good time this morning, by the way? Is that, is, are, we, uh, are we thoroughly enjoying it? Oh, a bundle of laughs. Wasn't it great? We had such a hoot at church this morning talking about sin and temptation. So we're going to go on to the good news as we come towards the end. This, the next slide, please, uh, Nikki. So interestingly enough, James then doesn't go on into a psychological discussion about the nature of temptation and, and, and human uh, response to it. He doesn't even talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives or the Word of God, actually. But what he does here, he appeals to who we are in Jesus. Now, we'll come back to all of those other things in a second. He says here, however, don't be deceived by temptation because God is perfect. He is the father of us all and he's brought us into new birth as a first fruits for him. He's saying, look at this goal. Look at what God got for you. There's this mire, this dirt this, these slippery slopes. But do you really want to be there when you are actually here? This is your standing in Christ. This is your place in the kingdom of God. This is who you really truly are. You don't have to be like that because this is where God has you. And actually, when I was, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I was out cycling um, and I wasn't necessarily thinking about, it was this week, and I wasn't thinking about this morning particularly, but when you are preparing, you, uh, days before, your thoughts are going through your head and images and pictures and what would be helpful, and you, you try and get it, you know, so that it can be as informative but as faith-building as possible. And I, I was cycling down, and um, I'm, I also, I should say to you, Maria is always with me when I'm cycling. Um, she thinks she's not obsessed, but she's here all of the time be careful don't be silly you know have you done this have you done that just because she loves me that's all and she knows I'm slightly stupid occasionally um so and I was just you know and I'm always checking and I'm, I'm very good very very good very good very very good um anyway uh, I will hear her from time to time just reminding me to and then I felt God speak to me about the parable of the sower exactly picking up James's appeal to who God has made us as opposed to a whole list of things although I will come on to one or two helps in a sec and 
if you go on to the next side, slide, please, Nikki. So you remember the parable of the snow. You think this is a strange, strange kind of example to use when we're talking about temptation. But remember the, soul, the seed was sown on the path and the bird snatched it away. It was of in no consequences, no life there at all. No germination, nothing. On the path, bird seed, you know, great, done. The rocky ground... Um, there was trouble and persecution reveals the shallow roots and they fall away. They're not my words. They're the words of Jesus. So something happened. But the, the, the things of the world, persecution, things that you thought, oh, is this worth it? And the, and the seed really is, is, is lost. But these two things I thought were really interesting. I went back to check and I could see then how it tied together. There was seed that fell amongst the thorns. And actually, although there were thorns, it looked like the seed was doing okay. It was germinating. It was growing. It was visible. Um, and okay, it wasn't in the field where it was just full of, uh, of, of wheat or corn or whatever it might have been. Uh, it was in a more raggy field, but it was definitely there. Had some impact, had some growth, had some nourishment, had some life about it. But Jesus said this, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And you know, that's perfect example of temptation, isn't it? The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. But Jesus is saying, do you know what? If you persevere, if you keep going, if you remain rooted in me, you'll be faithful, productive, and fruitful. So what do you think Jesus wanted his disciples to be out of those four obviously wanted them to be the last one so he wants like James really saying you know just focus on being rooted and grounded in me our goal is for God to say to us at the end well done and good and faithful servant our motivation in life including how we deal with trials tests and temptations should be in all of those things to please him. Now, when we come to Jesus, our past is forgiven. So that's who we are. So we're not, it's not a mantra. We're not having to persuade ourselves. It's not if we say it 50 times every day, somehow it will become true. It is true. It is the truth of the word of God. So how do we answers against temptation? Uh, can we have the next slide, please? And four things I just wanted to highlight here that might help us think about. One is we've got to take responsibility. We've got to recognize it. We've got to resist it. And if we fall, and when we fall, we, will, uh, we, we need to repent quickly, keep short accounts. One of the commentaries that was Steve's actually le uh, lent to me uh, by a guy called Douglas Moo said this Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation but the infrequency of succumbing to it so it's not whether we feel we're being tempted less and less therefore we're becoming more spiritual and holy it's how, how, how fewer and fewer times we actually respond to it so responsibility next slide please Nikki um, who are these Laurel and Hardy. Actually, wasn't Laurel was born near here, wasn't he? Was, Gain, was he Gainford or something? Yeah. Laurel and Hardy. What was Hardy's catch line? Oh, you can't talk out loud. Sorry. Forgot myself there. It was this. Next slide, please. 
And here's another nice mess you've gotten me into. In other words, it's your fault. We're always in this together, but anything bad that happens is your fault. But like we were saying earlier, but you know, Adam saying to God, it was, it was her fault. We need to be responsible for the way we live. I don't think we need to over-spiritualize this, um, but we just need to be intensely practical. James doesn't over-spiritualize this subject whatsoever. He just said, you're responsible. Get a grip. <laughs> In good Yorkshire, Yorkshire fashion. Pull your socks up, blood. That's probably rubbish, sorry. I'm pleased there's nobody here from Yorkshire. But uh, you got, we've got to take responsibility for the way we live. Secondly, next slide, please. Um, oh, I'll talk, just leave that there. Secondly, we need to recognize it when, it when it's happening. Be sensitive to God leading us by his Holy Spirit. The Lord's Prayer talks about, doesn't it? There's a line, lead us not into temptation. Help us to be, if we're close to Jesus, we'll become very aware of what's going on. We become increasingly spiritually aware, which gives us the wisdom to know what's happening. The wisdom to know when we're being tempted. And then resist. Um, there are many scriptures here uh, that we could use, um, but and I, you could preach for ages on all of them, and I'm not going to do that, obviously, but just go to the next slide a second. Nikki. Yeah, okay. So I want us just to, I'm going to read these three out, and I want to, can I, let me read them to you, close your eyes, and just ask God to speak to you, because we could have chosen loads, but you know, it's the truth that sets us free. It's the word of truth that sets us free. Christ has come into our lives for freedom. And this, the words I'm going to read out now have the power to set you free as you align yourself to the word of God. Hebrews 4, 15, 16 says this, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace for help in time of need. This morning, do you need mercy and grace in a time of need? Reach into him right now. Next slide, Nikki, please. Paul says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Yeah, Heavenly Father, just help us to understand, be wise be able to spot in those situations where we are being tempted where the exit door is next slide Nikki please and then James a bit later on in this book says this submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts 
And then last slide, please, Nikki. So you can open your eyes now. So take responsibility, recognize it, be wise, resist it when you see it, and then finally repent. There's this amazing verse in the book of, of 1 John. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, and we do, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the To be faithful and fruitful. Temptation is part of life, but it is not inevitable that we will fall into it, that we respond, so, you know, we, we embrace it and are tempted. We are human. God knows that. He is catered for everything, whether we're the youngest person here or the oldest person here. His love is for us. But our goal shouldn't be to be, I think, I didn't feel that it was right for us to be thinking, oh, we spend lots of time thinking about temptation and where I exit. You know, we all know our hearts and God knows them even better than we do. What, we, what God wants us to do is to be close to him. And as I said right at the beginning, if there's one thing to take away in relation to temptation, it's stay close to Jesus. So I asked Phil if the band would come up and we're just saying strength will arise again as we close so that we can think about these things, we can root them in worship, we can raise our hands, hit a hole in one with a, a bit of stick and a ball, but because actually Jesus has come to give us the power to live fruitful, prosperous lives for him. Amen. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil.